Hello and welcome to the Brain Care Podcast, a practical and impactful series of snappy episodes on how to optimize your mental health and performance so you can reach your full potential. My name is Dan Murray-Serta, and I'm the co-founder at Heights. We make smart supplements and clever content with the world's leading experts to help you take care of your brain so it can take care of you. Welcome back to the Brain Care Podcast. Today is a special episode because we have someone that I deeply admire and find absolutely fascinating called Rick Doblin here. Um, Now, he's a psychedelic-assisted psychotherapist, as well as the founder and executive director of MAPS, which is the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies. Now that I've got all the tongue twisters out of the way, Rick, welcome to the show. We actually recently actually had Dr. Carl Hart on uh, a couple of months ago, where we discussed the science of drug use. And, you know, he mentioned the work that you were doing as well. And so it seemed natural for me that I should be uh, getting the Grandmaster himself on to the podcast. So firstly, (laughs) thank you so much for your time. Uh, Can you introduce yourself in your own words? Well, thank you, Dan. But let me just add that uh, we're bringing on Carl Hart to be on the board of directors of MAPS. Oh, are you? That's amazing. Yeah, we've just started a six-month process. To uh, He's been to our big board retreat, and then he comes to the next one, and then he gets to know us, and we get to know him. And then near the end of this year, we'll vote whether to add him to the board. But there's already a majority of the board that wants to add him to our board, and he's terrific. And he's also very much interested in drug policy reform. And that's what we're also interested in, as well as drug development. Okay, so by way of uh, introducing myself, though, in 1972, which is now 49 years ago, that's when I decided to focus my life on psychedelics. And that was after reading Stan Groff's book, Realms of the Human Unconscious, Observations from LSD Research. Stan is an MD-PhD, one of the pioneer LSD researchers from the 50s, from the Czech Republic, when the Russians came into uh invade Czechoslovakia, he came to the United States. Since then, when I was 18, I decided, okay, I want to become a psychedelic therapist. I wanted to go through my own psychedelic therapy, and I want to bring back psychedelic research. And I thought I'd get a clinical psych PhD. I took a whole bunch of uh, LSD and psilocybin and mescaline, and I wasn't really prepared to integrate it. And I dropped out of college, the classic story, took 10 years out of college. When I went back to school, the same school at Sarasota called New College, Sarasota, Florida, experimental school. It's Honors College of the State of Florida. Now, I went back to study with Stan Groff. I learned about MDMA, started a nonprofit before MAPS to try to keep MDMA legal. And then when I graduated college in 87, I wanted to get into the clinical psych PhD program. But this was at a period of time when all psychedelic research was shut down. So nobody would let me into graduate school to do that. MDMA had been criminalized in 85. That's why I started MAPS in 86 as a nonprofit pharmaceutical company to bring it back. So any case, the politics was in the way of the science, so I decided to study the politics. So I went to Harvard to the Kennedy School of Government, and I have my master's and PhD there, focused on the regulation of the medical use of psychedelics and marijuana. And the last thing I'll say is when I started my master's degree from 88 to 90, those were the same two years that I worked again with Stan Groff to become certified in what he calls holotropic breathwork, which is um, hyperventilation as a way to induce non-ordinary states of consciousness and bring stuff up from the the subconscious, the unconscious and difficult emotions and things like that. So that's where been my parallel training has been um, sort of learning to be a psychedelic therapist and holotropic breathwork practitioner for individuals 
and then learning about uh, being a psychotherapist for the culture for sick public policies like prohibition. It's now 35 years later and we have 125 people working for MAPS and we have what is MAPS the nonprofit, but we also started MAPS, the, the MAPS Public Benefit Corporation. And that is a for-profit company. That's basically our pharmaceutical arm. It's 100% owned by the nonprofit. And that's the group that will make MDMA into a medicine and eventually market it if we can get it approved by the prescriptions. And we're going to Europe and we have MAPS Europe and we'll be working with uh, King's College. There's, there's a whole lot of stuff happening in England. We're also um, supportive of Ben Sessa and uh, David Nutt. They've got a company called Awaken. They've done work with MDMA with alcohol use disorder in Bristol. Anyway, it's a very exciting situation. And so we are, we've raised $115 million in donations in our history. And we are now um, finished phase, our first phase three study. And we think by the end of 2023, we'll have MDMA approved as a prescription medicine in the US, Israel, and Canada, and then a year later in Europe. So sorry, sorry that's the kind of big introduction. Yeah, fantastic whistle-stop tour. We had a, a great guy on recently called Dr. Mike Dow, who um, is uh, a ketamine therapist. So he's been doing ketamine-assisted therapy for a company called Field Trip. Um, and we talked a lot about that. But actually, you know, just to take it up a level first, um, why don't we talk about how psychedelics can have a positive impact on our mental health? Because the prevailing opinion from broad society that you're obviously looking to challenge is drugs bad, psychedelics bad bad uh, end of conversation. Yeah. So I, I say that a lot of times that there's two different ways that people get educated, you could say, about the value of psychedelic medicine. One is through data. And that's the way the regulatory agencies um, operate. They want to see anonymized data from controlled studies. And, and I can share with you the results of all those. The other way that people learn about this, and more people actually learn this way, is through by stories of individuals who've said, oh, I've been helped in one way or another. And so I can share some stories as well. But for those people that are um, dubious, let's say, the first thing to say is that psychedelics are tools. They're not the treatment in themselves. They're not like the classic drugs that you get from pharmaceutical companies where they're supposed to correct some biochemical deficit and the drug is the thing. And you get the drug and you take it every day and it controls your symptoms. What we're talking about is psychotherapy. It's psychedelic psychotherapy, but it's primarily psychotherapy. And the drug helps the therapy work better. So that when people may have images in their mind of people having psychedelic uh, trips uh, recreationally at raves or in other festivals, or, you know, and then people have uh, emotional problems and go to the emergency rooms, or you see all these stories about the dangers of recreational use of psychedelics. That's psychedelics used without psychotherapy. And so the risks and the benefits of those kind of stories and data from people that use psychedelics in that way is completely different from what we're talking about when we talk about psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy. So I think that's a very important distinction for people to understand, that it's really about the psychotherapy, the drugs help it make, make it better. Psychedelics have been used for thousands of years and the origins of uh, our culture, the Western culture, the democracies, we, we go back to the Greeks. And the world's longest running mystery ceremony that we know involved the psychedelic was the Eleusinian Mysteries, 
from 1600 BC to 396 AD, wiped out by the Catholic Church, who wanted to be intermediary between people and their own spirituality. So there's a history in our culture of psychedelics that goes deep. And everybody that we think of as Plato and Aristotle and Pythagoras, all these people had psychedelic experiences that were very important in their lives. Starting in 396 with the Catholic Church suppressing it, psychedelics have been basically wiped out of formal mainstream Western culture until 50 years ago when uh, the um, invaders, you could say, from Europe came to the United States and came to Mexico and Cortez and all that. What they tried to do is they tried to kill those people that used mushrooms, that used peyote, so that again, destroy the cultures, destroy the religion, take over, and then institute the Catholic Church and others that become an intermediary between people and their own spirituality. So really our Western culture, you know, you've had it in the Middle Ages, the burning of the witches. A lot of these were people that had wisdom from plants, often plant psychedelics. So it's really, I would say, starting in um, the late 1890s is the first time that uh, modern Western science, you could say, got involved with psychedelics. And that was figuring out that mescaline is the main ingredient in peyote, in the psychedelic cactus. And there was research in the uh, teens and 20s in, in Germany and elsewhere into mescaline. But then things really pick up in 1943 when Albert Hoffman sort of invented LSD in 1938, but didn't know what he had and discovered the psychedelic properties in 1943. 15 years later, in uh, 58, Albert was the one that synthesized psilocybin from mushrooms that came from Mazatec Indians in, in Mexico. There was an enormous amount of research in the 50s and 60s, and also it leaked out of that. Um, became more popular, and people know about it as uh, Timothy Leary and the psychedelic revolution and counterculture. And so there was a backlash again, 1970, Controlled Substances Act, and uh, we exported, America was successful exporting our drug policy to shut down research all over the world because research into psychedelics was actually showing a lot of benefits. In the 50s, actually, psychedelics helped with understanding neurotransmitters and the discovery of serotonin. There's a very interesting story about the, how LSD played a major role in the discovery of serotonin, because people were thinking, how can something so tiny in micrograms, millionths of a gram, LSD, can affect your consciousness so profoundly? And it had to be because it was operating on something similar in the brain. Then we have the crackdown. Then only in uh, the last 20 years, really, have we had a psychedelic renaissance and now we're at this incredible spot all over the world of psychedelic research. And there's thousands of uh, patients. There's more publications now on psychedelics than there ever have been, even in the 60s. So that's just to say for those skeptics that are wondering, there's an enormous amount of data that we could share about the value of psychedelics in depression in obsessive compulsive disorder and PTSD and substance abuse and uh, alcohol use disorder and uh, nicotine disorder and cocaine addiction. Ibogaine is phenomenal for um, opiate addiction. So there's enormous amount of data and more and more people are feeling comfortable telling their stories. So there's a lot of patients in the studies and um, other people telling their stories. So I think um, if skeptics, which we welcome skepticism, of course, that's the essence of science is being skeptical. So we, we applaud skepticism, but I would encourage people to look at the data 
and also not to discount all these anecdotal stories and just to keep in mind again that it's the package psychedelics with psychotherapy. I would love to just end this episode before we come back into another episode and uh, discuss more specifically psychedelic assisted psychotherapy with you just explaining, I suppose, where MAPS currently is. Like, How do you pitch MAPS to someone that's never heard of it before? What is like sort of the couple of sentence explainer about MAPS? Okay, we're a nonprofit psychedelic pharmaceutical company. And we are also a social change company trying to end the drug war. And our mission is mass mental health. Humanity as a group is in dire straits. And um, there's a lot of brilliant humans, but as a group, we're destroying the environment. We're enmeshed in incredible misallocation of resources to weapons of mass destruction. We see a rise of fundamentalism, a rise of authoritarianism. We're like lemmings going over a cliff. And so mass mental health is our mission. And the two aspects of it are drug development to make psychedelics and marijuana into prescription medicines. The other is drug policy reform to make it so people can have their own experiences to uh, mature and grow. Amazing. Rick, thank you so much. And I suppose because uh, there's so much that we could discuss next time, what I'm going to hone in and focus on is probably the area that's providing the the sort of uh, closest, most likely broad breakthrough with your work, which is MDMA at the moment. So let's come back and talk about that on the next episode. Thank you. Okay. It's great to have this opportunity to talk with you then. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Brain Care Podcast. Don't forget to leave us a review and subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. And follow us at Your Heights on Instagram and Twitter for daily doses of brain care. Did you know Heights started as a newsletter that I've written every week for years? I'm still doing it, and I'd love it to reach your inbox too. So for weekly science-backed emails on the best ways to take care of your most important organ all in under three minutes, sign up at yourheights.com forward slash Sundays. See you next week.